Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our What a Good Eater podcast. We are Allie and Amy, and this is episode number six. Uh, we're hoping that you're enjoying these episodes so far, and if you are, we ask that you make sure you subscribe. This way, every time we publish a new one, which is about once per week, you'll get a notification. Um, and also, if you like it, please forward this to a friend that you think would enjoy these tips, and also, uh, please rate us on iTunes. It's a very easy thing to do. You just let us know what you like and if you like it. And you can also email us at info at whatagoodeater.com and let us know what you want to hear about next. So today we're going to jump right in to useful tips for drama-free dinners. You guys know the drill. Mealtimes can bring on the stress. Uh, first, you have to go through the process of figuring out what you will actually feed everyone, which is enough of a job in itself. Then you have to get the food on the table. And whether you're cooking from scratch or opening a box, it really doesn't matter. It's still a job. And lastly, the tension can build around getting everyone to the table because as soon as you conveniently announce it's time to eat, everyone all of a sudden has to do things, right, Amy? Like, oh, yeah. Go to the I bathroom. Have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Or they ignore you or they decide it's time they want to learn how to tie their shoes or do a Lego tower. Just everyone has other important things to do. Definitely. <laughs> so by the time you get to the table, you're already stressed out. And your family might start the usual hits such as, I didn't want this tonight, I'm not trying that, and can I be done now? The whole thing is just exhausting. <laughs> it's all too familiar, Allie. But, you know, it doesn't, dinner time doesn't have to be this way. And today we're sharing tips on how to make meal times as drama-free as possible. And so first, we're going to just talk a little bit about, you know, why are meal times worth the effort in the first place? And this information is taken directly from an article referenced in the USDA National Agricultural website. And it says children from families who eat together on a regular basis are more likely to have family support, positive peer influences, and positive adult role models. Researchers have shown that family connectedness is associated with a lower chance of engaging in high-risk behavior such as substance abuse and violence and fewer psychological problems, including emotional distress in children. And this is what I find the most interesting, is that researchers also found that the frequency of family dinner increases characteristics such as having a positive view of one's future, being motivated and engaged in school, and being committed to learning, and having positive values and a positive identity. And I felt like, wow, that is strong. That everyone wants that for their children. Absolutely. And this is a quote from Ellen Satter. She's an internationally recognized authority on eating and feeding. And here's what she says about family mealtimes that really struck a chord with us. What works is good parenting with feeding. Have regular family meals. Serve the child the same food as the rest of the family. Trust the child to eventually learn to eat those foods. Maybe just not right now. Within a structured feeding environment, the child would do his jobs, eat as much as he needs, and learn to eat the foods that parents enjoy. It takes time and patience, but in the meantime, parents can enjoy family mealtime. And I have a firsthand experience with this. Um, something that my mom always made growing up was artichokes. She would always put artichokes in the oven, and she would put like breadcrumbs on it and lemon, and it was always really, really good. Um, so I always made them myself. You know, when Greg and I first got married, I would, I would make artichokes all the time. So I wanted to keep making them when we had Penelope. So I just kept making them and kept serving them. And the first couple of times I put them on the table, she was looking at them like, what the heck is this? And what yeah. do you want me to do with it? But I would say by like the fourth or fifth time she got in there and she loves eating. And that was from when she was two. She loves eating artichokes today. And she, it's like a game for her. Like she loves peeling off each of the leaves. She loves 
like sucking all the good stuff off of each of the leaves. And then when you finally get to the middle, of course, you get to the heart of the artichoke, which is the best part. The best part. Yeah. yeah so it kind of becomes that- a game for her. And it was a strange, suspicious food. And you know, now she loves it. That is a really unusual food that most kids probably wouldn't, you wouldn't think to even serve it to your kids because you would think like it's like an olive or something and the kid probably won't like it. But the fact that you just kept serving it, it was a favorite food as a kid and you kept serving it. Your daughter learned to love it. And for us, like we have lots of foods like that. Eggs is one of them. I mean, I've tried to get my kids to eat eggs, scrambled, fried, hard boiled, poached, all kinds of different ways. But they've just gone through many, many different phases with eggs um, where they just not liked it and would hardly touch it. But I have just tried to trust the process and just continue to reserve, 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 not every day in a row, but just over the course of months and years. And my kids will now and have been for a little while now eating eggs very well. And so it's just one of those things. I think like trusting the process can seem hard, but it really works. Right. Over time, like you said, as long as you trust. Over time. Yeah, over time. So here we go. We're going to share our useful tips for drama-free dinners. And the first one is to relieve yourself of helicoptering. And one of the best ways to keep a chill dinner table is to be chill yourself. And remember that we as the parents, we're setting the tone for mealtime. So if we are stressed out, our kids are going to be stressed out. So our advice is to plate the food and don't force anything. Um, so if, you, if you've been following us for a while, we are a big proponents of using three section plates and serving very small portions of three separate foods and making sure that one of those foods is something that you know that your child is going to love and enjoy, something that they, you know that they like. For example, my kids love strawberries. So if I'm serving chicken and broccoli, I'll serve a small portion of chicken, I'll serve a small portion of broccoli, and I'll serve it with another small portion of strawberries. And I'll just try to encourage them to try everything, to taste everything. And remember, it's okay if they don't eat that much. Um, Actually, most toddlers don't eat that much for dinner because they've gotten most of their calories, most of their calorie intakes uh, during the course of the day. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if they don't eat a lot for dinner. They will make up for it when their little bodies really need it. And just keep a nonchalant attitude about it and just say, you know, this is dinner. You don't have to force them or pressure them. Ironically, that does exactly the opposite of what you want to, what you want to happen. It just kind of creates stress and anxiety around mealtimes and the intensity builds each night. So instead, just trust that your child is taking what they need and what their bodies need. Yes, that's a big one to trust it. And it's not going to look the same every night. And remember, they're, they're, you know, we're not robots, whether we're parents, children, we just, we need different things at different times. That's a great one. The second one that we have is to batch cook. Uh, I don't know if you guys out there listening do batch cooking. Amy and I both try to batch cook at least one day a week. Um, It is so worth the effort. A lot of times we'll batch cook, and I like to do it on a Sunday afternoon because usually Greg is home, so he's he's there. He can kind of help with the kids, or you know, I I can just put on a show for them, or they can even sometimes get involved with helping me, depending on what I'm making. Um, But it's exciting for. Penelope and Ciro, both of my kids, they love seeing what's coming out of the oven and it actually makes them want to try it because it's not around a formal dinner table. So, you know, I'm not pressuring them. Okay, guys, it's dinner time. It's dinner time. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing in the kitchen. And then they're like, that smells good. Can I try? Can I try? And it becomes more of like a, (laughs) like a scarcity thing for them. You know, I'm not forcing them to eat it. So all of a sudden they want it, (laughs) but we batch cook a lot of things. Uh, We like batch cooking, for example, sweet potatoes. 
I know sweet potato toast was all the rage a couple of years ago. That's still a really big hit in our house. So I'll just slice up some sweet potatoes and roast them in the oven. And then I keep them in the fridge all week. And whenever I need a quick lunch or dinner idea, I'll just throw a couple slices in the toaster oven and it's ready on the dinner table in about three minutes. What we also like to um, cook a whole chicken. We use the Instant Pot, but you can do one in the oven. And you have that, you put it in your fridge, and then you have pulled chicken for an entire week to throw over salad or serve on a three-section plate for your kids or however you want to eat it. Nice. So we do batch cooking as well, but I'm not nearly as organized, so I don't have a day of the week where I do it. It's just kind of like randomly whenever I can't during the week. But um, we will batch cook steel-cut oats. So I'll just make like a huge pot of it and then keep it in the fridge, and it'll like breakfast is ready then for like the next two or three days for our whole family. So that's one thing that we like just cook in bulk. Another thing is um, that we use is uh, we'll batch cook hard-boiled eggs. Mm-hmm. So I'll try to make up some eggs and I do this probably at least twice a month. And that way I'll use them for breakfast or like if I'm running around and I don't have time to like prepare a good lunch, I'll just pull out a hard boiled egg, maybe a vegetable and some fruit and something like that and put, put a lunch together. And another thing that I'll batch cook is I'll just take like five or six chicken breasts and I will roast them in the oven and, um, I'll just use them for different things. So like the other night, the night before last, we just had chicken with broccoli and um, crispy potatoes. And then so that we didn't have to have the chicken again in the same format, like last night, I just made the chicken and cut, just sliced it up and we had fajitas. And so we had like a brand new dinner. And so, and then you can just take the chicken and yeah, just, you know, put it over salads, like you said, or, um, or really just try to find different functions for the chicken. And it's so much easier to cook during the week that way. This, this alleviates the drama in two ways. The first way is you have things at your fingertips. So you don't have to be thinking every day, Oh, what am I going to start for dinner tonight? Or, you know, whatever you can kind of, you can wing it, but you'll have things in your fridge. So if you wing it, you don't have to spend a lot of energy thinking about it or time wasting cooking anything. But then it also keeps everybody from getting hangry. Like the minute that everyone is hungry, you're not having to wait for a meal. So now you're aggravated because you don't know what you're going to make. Then you're aggravated because you're trying to get something on the table. So batch cooking, if you can do it, just find an hour or two any day of the week and get it done. You will so thank yourself later. One of the questions I get asked a lot by people that follow our blog or people that I know in town will say, you know, they'll ask me, how many times a week do you cook? Do you cook like a fresh hot meal every day? <laughs> and the perce- their perception is that I do, that I'm like probably standing over the stove <laughs> and like making fresh breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that is just not the case. It's crazy. I yeah. think What's happening is I'm probably in reality cooking like fresh homemade meals three times a week. But when I cook, I'm just cooking in bulk yes. and we're eating leftovers or like some type of that modified food, you know, in a different format maybe. Yeah. But I'm definitely not cooking every day of the week. I don't know who can keep up with that and keep up with two little kids no, or that, more. That's crazy. So our third tip is to make sure that everybody at the family dinner table is eating the same thing. So we are giving you permission to not prepare a different meal for any other family member. Um, This, of course, is leaving out if in case your kids have allergies. But with calm confidence, just lay down the law that you will not be preparing separate meals. Everyone is going to eat the same thing. That's right. I love that one. We do that one in our house as well. Um, I think what you said about the calm confidence is perfect because it, it sets the tone. You don't have to be 
you know, angry about it or anything, just let them know this is the way that it is. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't like that tonight. I'll remember that next time, but this is dinner tonight. <laughs> it's very polite. It's very polite. polite. Right. Just keep it neutral. <laughs> keep it neutral. Again, this is all about leaving the drama, not bringing drama to the dinner table. Um, you know, I was recently listening to the, uh, Oprah super soul podcasts and she had Michael Pollan on as a guest who is of course, you know, author, food expert. Um, and I really enjoyed that podcast. And one of the things that he mentions is the connection that comes with mealtimes and how really it kind of brings a closer connection when everyone's eating the same thing. You know, it's one thing if you're out to dinner, of course, you're not going to all order the same thing. That would be kind of weird. But if you're home at the dinner table and everyone's eating from the same pot, it kind of brings a different piece of connection to your meals. And we, you know, obviously we live in a time where everything is fast, fast, fast. And, you know, we have places to go and we can't always eat together every night of the week. It's, it's just not really possible with everybody's schedules. But when you do, if you just make sure that everyone's eating the same thing, I think it will not only alleviate drama, but it will also bring connection to the dinner table. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. So the fourth tip that we have is to be aware of your own thoughts or issues surrounding food. Um, this is a tough one because it involves us really digging deep a little bit into ourself and acknowledging like what issues that we have. So for example, I'll share a story with you. My father comes from a very strict Italian family and he was, was a very strict Italian dad. And when I was younger, I didn't really like red sauce on my pasta, which is, I know it's blasphemy, but I just, <laughs> so my mom, uh, she would save a little piece for me on the side and she would put a little bit of butter on it. And this drove my father nuts. And I remember one day when his parents were were there visiting, he was embarrassed that I wasn't eating the red sauce. So he got, he, he got mad and he actually made me eat my dinner in the other room. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, was, he was a tough one. But the thing is, is that I grew out of that. Now, I, I mean, geez, I would take a bath in red sauce. I love it. But and I probably would have come around and loved it anyway, you know, regardless whether my dad made me eat in the other room or not. Maybe I would have come around sooner. Had I not, he, you know, he Italian shamed you. He Italian shamed me. <laughs> my father Italian shamed me. <laughs> he embarrassed him. My I know. God. I know. And I get that though. And that's the thing. Like I, I know, like I'm not that much, like, you know, I'm not as hard with my kids in that sense, but I do know that there have been times, whether it's related to food or just related to parenting in general, where I will sometimes feel the pressure of being around other people. And that kind of permeates my, my parenting. You know, we're, we're, we're triggered every day. I mean, we have to be. Every single one of us is triggered one way or another by our own upbringing, and we carry that over to our kids. So for me, just being aware of these things, just kind of noticing these things, okay, I'm feeling triggered, or okay, I'm bringing my own stuff to the table, literally, and I don't need to do that here. Just doing that and right. being conscious of it can kind of turn the mood around a little bit. I have a story to share too, because what we as parents say to our children or comments that we make can really affect what our kids think. And so I have several brother brother-in-laws, but we'll call this one Larry to protect <laughs> his identity. <laughs> so Larry, he doesn't care much for, there's a lot of vegetables and a lot of different foods that he doesn't care much for. And my sister will often tell me stories about how their family will be eating dinner and Larry will look at the food on the table and he'll look at the vegetables that they're, that are, that they're serving for dinner and say something like, yuck, what are those? (laughs) Or 
Ew, it's slimy. <gasps> this is and your brother-in-law, the, the parent? This is the dad? This is the, par- <laughs> this is the parent. <laughs> so, you know, you have to try and, you know, as, you think those kids are going to want to eat the vegetable after their dad just said that? So it's like, you know, we have to remember to try to keep our commentary about food positive and fairly neutral. Maybe if it's not your favorite thing, maybe just don't say anything at all. But <laughs> I mean, you know, what we say, it has a profound impact on what our kids think. Yes. And when we, we can, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, we can sometimes bring another layer of drama just based off of that. Another tip is to involve the kids in menu planning and let them know that, yeah, yeah, we're going to have like vegetables. We're going to have meat. Um, we're going to have different foods, but let them have a say in which one sometimes. So take them to the grocery store. I often do this and let them like, just give them two choices. Um, I don't like to give them 15 choices, but I like to give them two choices and just say, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? Green beans or broccoli, sweet potatoes or cabbage, and just give them two choices and, and just let them choose. But the fact that they're helping to menu plan helps, helps them feel empowered and involved in the whole process. And I think it's helpful. Yes, we do the same thing. And they, you know, they get excited about it. They're, they're more inclined to try it if they are the ones who have some authority over it. They picked it. You know, it's not just like here, I'm buying it, I'm cooking it, I'm serving it, now eat it. You know, it's them saying like, wow, I helped choose that. You know, maybe they'll help you prepare it. Um, you know, like you said though, Amy, like about narrowing it down to just a couple of choices. That's excellent advice because I've done it where I brought them in and like, okay, go ahead. You can pick anything you want. And she'll pick out like kohlrabi. And I'm like, oh, crap, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> and then I'm like Googling how the heck to make this. That's but, the beauty of it. If they choose something and you don't know how to make it, which can happen frequently. Yeah. We have Google, like just Google a recipe. I'm yeah. sure you'll find something. Yeah. And, and again, they, they feel empowered when they can be involved in the process. So the last tip that we want to give you for creating a drama-free mealtime is to do something at the dinner table that kind of takes the, the mind and the pressure off of eating. For us, it started on Sunday mornings where we would do a gratitude list where we would just go around the table and we would just say five things that we're grateful for. You know, and this was funny. We, we started it when Penelope was little and she would say, uh, what was her favorites? She would say things like syrup and butter and rabbit, which is rab- rabbit <laughs> or stuffed too. animal that like still goes everywhere with us. But, um, you know, it's just, here's a list of five things and just kind of doing these things. It works in two ways. It gives them something else to focus on other than the food. So it's not so much pressurized, like, okay, yeah. eat your dinner, eat your dinner, but it also kind of puts things in a positive light because now we're saying things that we're grateful for. So, you know, the chances are the kids will say something cute or, you know, you're just sitting there in gratitude. I like that idea a lot. That's beautiful. It's, um, it teaches them to be appreciative for something. We uh, do a gratitude list sometimes, but not in the format of dinner table. It's usually impromptu. And it's usually whenever my kids ask me for something like, mommy, can I have the iPad? I'll tell us to say, tell me three things you're grateful for right now. (laughs) (laughs) When my three-year-old asks me like, mommy, can I watch a cartoon? I'll just say, give me three things you're grateful for right now. (laughs) And that's what we do. And it just changes the focus on what they want to something that they have. I like that better. Unless they're like, iPad, iPad, iPad. (laughs) (laughs) And that's often what's in the gratitude list. And their gratitude list is, I'm grateful for the iPad. I'm grateful for Clifford, the the puppy. Cartoon. Penelope will say things sometimes like, I'm grateful that Ciro has camp tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Get 
get rid of the brother. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll recap the useful tips for drama-free dinners. Number one, relieve yourself of helicoptering. Number two, batch cook. Number three, everyone eats the same thing. Number four, be aware of your own thoughts or issues surrounding food. Number five, involve kids in menu planning. And number six, have a gratitude list. And remember that you're helping your kids eat for the rest of their lives. It's a marathon. It's definitely not a sprint. Trust in the process and remember that it will not happen overnight. Raising a good, well-rounded eater takes a lot of time. So as long as you keep the positivity and you keep the stress minimal and the environment and the food choices healthy, you're on the right track to doing a fantastic job for your kids. If you don't have our top-rated What a Good Eater cookbook, you can order a copy on Amazon And it's full of excellent recipes for babies, toddlers, and families. It's customer rated 4.9 out of 5 stars. And as always, we wish you and your families happy, healthy tummies. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.